Hello everyone, I'm your host, Kent Engel, president of Southeastern University. And I'm your co-host, Michael Steiner, SCU Chief of Staff. I want to welcome everyone to Framework Leadership Today, a podcast about principles and ideas you can use today to make your leadership grow and go to the next level. We're now exclusively a part of the SCU Podcast Network, and today I'm excited to introduce our guest for today's show, John Cox. John is an American businessman, attorney, housing developer, political activist, and a candidate for governor of California. He's a husband and father of four who's passionate about serving the community and making a difference. John, it is a tremendous honor to welcome you to the show today. Well, thanks. Uh, great to be with both of you today. You know, I'm really excited about our conversation because I've been following your career, John, for a while now, being from California myself. I'm excited about the vision you've been painting for the state. And of course, at SEU, okay. we have uh, 16 uh, extension campuses within the state of California. These campuses, again, allow students to get affordable, accessible education, uh, graduate virtually debt-free, and provide a great faith-based education, integrates faith, learning, and life. I know many of the aspects of your platform would help them greatly. Uh, To set the context of your candidacy, tell us a little bit about your background. I I know you have a, my goodness, an amazing background, born with nothing, raised by a a, a single mother, worked your way through college, built a successful business from scratch. Tell us about that journey and then how you decided to jump into public service for the state of California. Well, thank you, Kent. You know, and and it is is a good background for really, I think, leadership mm-hmm. qualities in many ways because I know I know that I've experienced a lot of the struggles uh, that people have. Uh, you know, the way has not always been smooth for me. Uh, my real father left uh, when I was a kid. My mom later told me that he attacked her and. She chose to have me, thank God. Um, And my mom was the leading light in my life. Uh, Early on, uh, my mom was so enamored of John F. Kennedy and the Camelot era and the and the vision that uh, JFK had in terms of uh, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Uh, As a matter of fact. Uh, I was maybe uh, six years old or so. Uh, I was born in '55, uh, so I was six years old when he took office. And as a you know precocious six, seven, eight-year-old, uh, wanting to get my mom's favor because I didn't have a father per se, uh, uh, I would imitate JFK. Uh, there's early pictures of me in a uh, a little a white shirt and tie uh, with at family gatherings. Everybody else would be in polo shirts. I'd have a white shirt and tie on, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know I would be reciting this, and my mom was thrilled. You know, my mom was kind of the the leading light, and and if you want to say the leader of the family in many ways, uh, and you know she demonstrated that in her own life. Uh, mm. She she uh, she got two master's degrees at Berkeley uh, wow. in the in the forties, and one of the things she did early in her life is she went uh, to Chile to uh, to South America, and spent a year uh, teaching uh, young people uh, children uh, how to read and write English. Wow. Uh, these are peasant children, and you know think about that uh, a single woman traveling to South America in the forties. Not a very, you know, easy route, route right. I'm sure, but mm-hmm. she chose to do it because my mom actually really, really, really instilled in me the the idea of public service. Uh, mm. It's it's one thing to to you know serve your family and to serve you know uh, and make sure you you 
put bread on the table, but it's also good to give back and mm. and uh, you you enhance your own life, frankly, mm. by by serving others and and that's kind of what she instilled in me early on and uh, you know it, it's really it really guided my life. Uh, you know, I was uh, always very involved in my church uh, later on, uh, even though I grew up with no religion really to speak of. My mom was not religious. But uh, I adopted uh, Catholicism when I met my first wife, and uh, I really launched myself into leadership. Uh, one of the first things I did is I ran for school board, even though uh, for our parish school mm. board, even though I didn't have children in the uh, parish school, uh, I felt that it was important for me to be involved in, in leadership uh, at my parish. Uh, I ultimately became a, a lector and a religious education teacher. Uh, again, because I wanted to show leadership to my own children and, yeah. and show that it's important to give give of yourself to right. the community. And uh, um, I served on a variety of charity boards and mm. uh, zoning boards and local uh, activities. What I always found, however, is that politics enters the whole picture. Uh, you know, I, I love serving others through charities. But I really found that politics really has a tremendous impact on people's lives right. and mm. and in some ways cancels out a lot of the good works that people do. Right. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, you know, my mom was a Chicago public school teacher, and I could see how decision-making in the Chicago public school really deprived a lot of those children of a, a quality education and a chance to succeed. <sighs> and, you know, all the charities in the world are not going to help uh, if people don't have the tools to help themselves. Right. Yeah. And your, your university is certainly wonderful in terms of offering, you know, um, our young people a chance to uh, get a good education. Mm -hmm. um, but I got to tell you, our schools get the kids so much earlier, and right, right. we 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 really ignore the forest for the trees when when we just don't pay attention to the efforts early on in life and in mm -hmm. grade school as well as in high school to really make sure that our children get the grounding and the foundational right. learning and. Um, you know, later on, charities will help them because they're in poverty or because they can't afford this or they can't afford a house or they can't afford food or medicine or other things like that. But if we could get kids better prepared, right. uh, mm -hmm. better schools, and that's politics because yeah. our, you know, our, uh, unfortunately, our education systems uh, are, are creatures of politics these days. And frankly, that's one of the major elements of why I'm running for governor, too. Let me yeah. ask you this. We have a lot of students, obviously, listening to this podcast, different age groups, yeah. different different leaders. If there was three things that every student should learn, should take advantage of, no matter what degree they're in, no matter where their calling is, what would you think, what would those things be? Well, you know, I've kind of lived my life by uh, uh, certain standards, you know, and certain ideals uh, that I gained from my mom is as well as other mentors in my life, uh, I would urge all your young people to seek out a mentor mm, or two. Right. It could be a parent. Uh, yeah, it could be a parent. could be, you know, one of you two. Uh, it could be uh, anybody that they come in contact with that they feel has the qualities that 
would would denote a good leader. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you know, I, I look at a few things. Um, number one is integrity. Right. Um, you know, I, I have to say, uh, if, if we're going to really look at qualities of leadership and qualities that young people should seek out, it's being honest mm-hmm. and being forthright and, and having integrity. Um, you know, uh, one of my later mentors here in California was uh, Secretary of State George Schultz, oh, yes. who yeah. uh, uh, just passed at 100 years old, right. made it to 100. Uh, his One of his favorite remarks to me was, uh, and, and, and to others too, is integrity is the coin of the realm. And uh, if a leader doesn't have integrity, if people don't trust their leaders, they're not going to follow them right. because they're not going to know, uh, they're not going to really know if the way that they're prescribing as the way to go mm-hmm. is the right way or if it's colored by some uh, underlying purpose. And uh, to me, you know, that's one of the major problems in politics. Uh, I think another quality, too, is uh, self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, need to, you need to really understand who you are and what your gifts are and, and, and your strengths as well as your weaknesses, though. Uh, and, and if you do have weaknesses, you, you know, listen, everybody does. We're, mm-hmm. we're not perfect. Uh, only one perfect person walked the earth. Uh, and uh, we need to know that we have areas that we can, you know, improve. And, uh, you know, I think that's you know, the, probably the, the second most important be behind integrity. And I guess the third one I would probably say is empathy. Mm-hmm. Um and, uh, you know, the ability to put yourself in other people's shoes, uh, you know, what is, uh, the, the, the golden rule, uh, you know, treat others as you would treat, you know, uh, as you would want to be treated. Uh, and, and I think, you know, that means you're self-aware yourself of what you need, right. but you also have empathy for what others need. Right. And, and, uh, and, and the, uh, and the effect of, of, of your life upon others, uh, I, I really see that with my own children. Yeah. Uh, I, I try to set a good example. Uh, <laughs> so, sometimes I have feet of clay, but, you know, uh, it, it's important, I think, to, to really demonstrate uh, to people around you yeah. that, uh, you know, you, you have that empathy and you feel for what their circumstances and, are. And speaking of empathy, I mean, your your involvement in, in, in the California community with various businesses and projects, I mean, you have... Yeah. You have developed a, a, a tremendous heart for people, and, and now you you uh, you're running for governor. What do you think right now, as you look uh, at this nation, as you look at the state of California? What do you think is the most important political issue at the moment, and how how are you going to help solve that issue with with your passion and your drive? Well, I really believe that it's the influence of interest groups and uh, financial. Mm. You know, influence. Uh, it's also political influence. It's uh, you know groups that gather their power together from you know large numbers of people or, or you know uh, you know large groups of, of, of funders, and and they exercise their influence. And and most of the time, they exercise their influence obviously for something that they want, mm-hmm. but most of the time, it's something that really doesn't benefit the entire body politic right. uh and you know california is a perfect example of that it's kind of interesting in this recall that we're going through right now 
one of the instigating forces of that recall was a dinner at the French Laundry that Governor right. Newsom had. Yes, right. And, you know, and, and, and I know people look at it and they say, oh, gee, he was going out to dinner at a very expensive place and, you know, a very expensive wine bill. But that really wasn't the point. The point was who he was having dinner with. Uh, it was a group of lobbyists and people that represent interest groups. Mm. And if you look at California, if you look at our cost of living, if you look at our poor educational results, if you yeah. look at the housing crisis, the homelessness crisis, the lack of water, the lack of electricity, the, the lack of safety from crime and fires, the tax burden that really hits everybody in California, these are the essential issues. Just about all of them are the result of leaders who do what these interest groups want mm. instead of what is important for the body politic right, in its right. entirety. Does that does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. What's important it's for the narrow community. groups that mm -hmm. yeah, it's narrow groups that wield this power. And Gavin Newsom, you know, his whole background, you know, he's mm -hmm. related to Nancy Pelosi, you know, he uh, got into politics and business with the help of a billionaire family, the Getty family. Right. Um, his, his father was very influential with the Brown family, which was Pat Brown and his son, Jerry Brown, who were governors in California and wielded a, a huge amount of power. It's this whole power structure that has had California in its grip. And you know, California has this history of being the state that has so much opportunity and so much, yes. mm. you know, going for in terms of its weather and everything and its natural beauty and its resources. But what people need to understand is that a lot of its history has also been wielded by a tight group of, of mm. people who maneuver it for itself. And, and that's coming through right now right. in mm -hmm. the times that we're living in. Yeah. Because uh, the average Californian really has a lot of trouble making a, a go of it here. The right. middle class has gotten mm -hmm. squeezed to yeah. a point where they can't afford life. Well, you know what's crazy is is this disconnect between leadership and the people that they're leading, right? Obviously, we're seeing right. it played out on a political scale. We're seeing it in the policy happening right now in the state of California. But this is a problem that happens in lots of different places. As a businessman, you've seen it happen in companies. We see it happen in even families and, and organizations right. where the leader loses touch with the people that they're working with right. and they're supposed to be serving. Why do you think that happens? And how can leaders be better in touch with the people that they're supposed to be serving? Well, that's a good question. I mean, we have to ultimately as voters we have to select people to lead us mm. who we have some confidence are not going to accede to these interest groups you know my idol in this regard is ronald reagan uh Absolutely. you know i i grew up a democrat but ronald reagan brought me to the republican party by championing i i believe anyway he championed the little guy yeah he railed against big government. And you know what? It has a basis in his faith. A lot of people don't know this. Ronald Reagan was a very, very faithful person. He got that through his mother, Nellie. Right, right. Uh, ju just like me, he, he grew up really without a father. His father had an alcohol problem. And so, you know, his father was somewhat absent in, mm. because of that. Nellie took him to church when he was a young boy, 
12 years old or so, and he heard a speaker from the Soviet Union taught, you know, or, or a escapee, frankly, from Lenin. Uh, you know, this is right around the time of the, you know, the, the Bolshevik Revolution. Mm-hmm. You know, these this tight group of elites who control government is is really the essence of communism. It's really the essence of socialism, because big government can be bent very easily by small, narrow interests. When government has such deep roots in the economy, in education, in just the way we live our lives, it's easily manipulated by small groups of influential people. And that's the essence of communism and socialism. Ronald Reagan could see right away that smaller, more effective government and freedom, individual freedom, individual opportunity, individual self-determination was the antidote right. to this elite manipulated communism and socialism. Well, I have to tell you, California is, again, the pure essence of that kind of big government elitist mm. uh, manipulation. You know, right now, Gavin Newsom is running around the state passing out a surplus it's not really one, but he's got a lot of cash on sure. hand. And, and he's giving people free child care, free health care, uh, even to, to undocumented immigrants. I mean, he's, he's handing out all these benefits to cement his own power. Mm. But, of course, what he's really doing is he's making people more dependent mm. upon the right. government, sure. uh, which, which, which enhances his power and... It's not in the interests of the, of the people. I, I would like to see a California where people can work and can afford a life and can pay for their own health care, their own child care, mm-hmm. their own uh, education so that they're not dependent upon somebody else. And, and that's what Ronald Reagan, you know, that's how he spoke to me. Yeah. As a leader um, and, and, and on your journey, you know, right now we're living in a culture that uh, has run amok when it comes to cancel culture and criticism. Yeah. And uh, obviously being in the public eye makes you a bullseye for criticism. Every position yeah. you're placed in gives an opportunity for disagreement, backlash, and, and again, this approach, if they can apply cancel culture, they're going to they're gonna do that. How do, you, how do you personally handle criticism and this kind of environment, uh, this attack environment that is so rampant today? Well, you know, listen, I, I really think this cancel culture is part of this centralization of power. Uh, mm. You know, you can see that in big tech, right? Yeah. Uh, we have big tech with mon- almost, really and truly, it's not almost, it's actual monopoly power over a lot of our communication, right? Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Google, uh, these 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 big tech giants, because they're they've made things very convenient. They bought up competitors, if you know, uh, and they are some of the the main uh, instigators of this cancel culture because mm. they actually have that on on uh, unassailable power they're they're almost uh, uh, bulletproof in that respect and in point of fact you know as you might know they've been one of the biggest spenders in Washington DC in terms of lobbying in sure, terms of sure. you know getting uh, government to do things that they want uh, government to do see that's why I'm so much in favor of the free market yeah the dispersion of power, the, the, the 
I really am a believer in antitrust, uh, right. by the way. Yeah. Uh, a lot of conservatives aren't, by the way. Right. A lot of conservatives mm-hmm. don't like the antitrust laws because they see it as big government clamping down on people. But I see it as a way of broadening out competition sure. and broadening out mm-hmm. opportunity and broadening out debate. And cancel culture is an example of monopolistic you know, power seekers who want to limit debate, who want to limit people's ability to speak, who want to limit uh, you know, a free exchange of ideas. I view that as very dangerous. Uh, I think there is a role to say that we need far more competition, not just in economics, not just in everyday life, but also in ideas, in the exchange of ideas. And and cancel culture is kind of the opposite of a, of a free exchange of right. ideas. You know, we have a lot of, lot of uh, students that, uh, you know, they want to make an impact. They want to make a difference. They want to make a contribution. Uh, and, and they, you know, they want to be entrepreneurial in ways that they too can serve. Uh, there's a great heart in this generation we see. Uh, almost 40 years ago, you founded your own law and accounting firms. And not too long after that, you opened an investment advisory firm, a real estate a management company and a venture capital firm. Uh, And so as you went through that journey, and and we have a lot of students that are going to be, you know, they're beginning their journey. What what were some of the best resources or resources that have helped you along the way throughout your entrepreneurial journey that they can, uh, they can look to and say, hey, this can can help me as well? You know, learn everything mm-hmm. you can education and learning you know it's it's not just you know uh, about getting ahead in school it's about succeeding in life right you know one of my mom's favorite expressions was that you know the more you know the more powerful you are personally and nobody can ever take that away from mm-hmm. you yeah it's it's locked inside your brain so you know people can you know try to clamp down on you, they can steal, they can limit you in some mm. form or fashion, but, but what you know stays with you your right. whole life. Yeah. Um, and, and so I would advise any young person, it's not, you know, the, the old expression was, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah, it's huge. I, I kind of I I throw that out. I mean, I really do. Okay. I mean, my life is a testament, frankly, because yeah. I didn't know, I, I didn't really wow. have connections. I didn't have you know, a rich father. I didn't have somebody opening doors for me or doing anything like that. What opened doors for me was that I was able to give people advice that they couldn't get elsewhere because I learned things and I mm. studied things. One of the best pieces of advice, uh, uh, one of my mentors, uh, never forget, his name was Mike Mondras, who's a neighbor of mine uh, back in the suburbs of Chicago early on. Uh, you know, I was maybe 24, he was 44. He told me, read the editorial page of the Wall Street Journal every single day. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you know, you know I, I also read the New York Times editorial page. Right. So I, I try to, I try to get a balance there. <laughs> right, right, right. But, I mean, those mm-hmm. pages are so full of learning, not just right. about politics, mm-hmm. but about economics, right. about life in general. And... I still do that today. Mm -hmm. I I still do that. Uh, The first thing I do is I turn to the editorial pages of those, you know, newspapers. And I uh, obviously absorb other things, you know, that I can obviously Mm -hmm. access a lot easier today on the Internet. Learn 
everything you can. It, it's mm-hmm. it's the most important asset you have is is your intellect and your and your yeah. knowledge base, and uh, and that's what's guaranteed me a success during the real estate and investments and everything else I do. Yeah, and you know, John, one of the things I love about your story that I don't know if a lot of listeners know is is this isn't your first run at a candidacy. No. You've been part of the public sphere multiple times and you've also had <laughs> yes. some, you know, some some failures, you know, things that didn't go quite go the way that you wanted to or that you thought with your career. Right. What advice would you right. give to people that, you know, as, as students are stepping out into their careers or they're stepping on their life pants and they meet those discouragements, you know, things don't work out the way that they thought it would. What advice would you give to them on how to push through that? Hey, listen, if you're not failing, you're not trying. Mm, that's right. I mean, uh, you know, you've got to step into the arena. You know, I, yeah, I mean, I've been fighting corruption and, and, you know, corrupt politicians. That's basically what I've done. You know, I mean, if people say to me, well, John, if you really want to get elected to office, why don't you move to some place that's really, really red and conservative and, and get elected there? And and my answer is, well, they don't need me. Mm. Uh, the, the places that where I can actually hopefully at some point make a difference are the ones where there are corrupt leaders and people that leaders are not doing the job you know california yeah. uh, chicago right. uh, you know these are these are places where the leadership is not doing the best job that they could they're in thrall to these corrupt interests and and, and i want to be a voice against those corrupt interests but listen you know, this is the history of the world. You know, corruption, you know, has been with us since the pharaohs. Right. I mean, you know, anytime human beings, you know, uh, try to organize themselves, there's always going to be some person or group that tries to gain power and gain advantage for themselves. Uh, you know, the United States, frankly, is one of the few countries in the history of the world that has seen at least some modicum of victory for individual freedoms and individual opportunities. Yeah. Uh, that's not always been the way of the world. It mm-hmm. certainly is. You look over history, you see it's actually not the way. And uh, if I can have a small part, and may, maybe I'll fail in some of those efforts, that's fine with me as long as I made a good effort, as long as I you know, uh, addressed uh, the the freedoms and the uh, liberties that that we need to to keep, and and I've taken on the corrupt interests where they're most corrupt and most powerful, right? Uh, because that that's where the challenge, frankly, is is most urgent, yeah. uh, and and we have to step up to do something about that. Yeah. Well, this has been a a, a great conversation, and we're gonna we're gonna close our conversation out with our fire round, like we always do uh, with our guest on sure. on the podcast, and we want to ask you just uh, two or three quick questions, and and you kind of answer with your gut. These are going to be very practical and applicable to the lives of our listeners. So, let's begin. The first question is what do you think is the biggest challenge you're facing right now and how will you overcome it well it's it's a it's a media in california that seems to think there's no problems here it's just all about diversity and social justice and uh my answer is there are real problems on the ground in california and it affects all people no matter what color they are no matter what their background is uh energy water homelessness housing cost of living taxes these are major problems and government has to work better here yeah what qualities do you think are lacking among today's leaders integrity 
Yeah. I, I mean, I have to say it. I mean, they'll tell you what you, you know, what they think you want to hear, but be behind the scenes, they're listening to the lobbyists and the interest funders and the donors. And, and you see that again with Mr. Newsom. Uh, right. He gives mm-hmm. out no bid contracts to donors. He does deals with donors. He's all about feeding interest groups that are going to help him become president uh, at some point. And, and that's just a power s- struggle. And, uh, it's making life very difficult in California. Yeah. Final question, Michael. Uh, who do you personally look up to for inspiration or mentorship? <laughs> well, it was, you know, it was Ronald Reagan. Obviously, mm-hmm. he's not with us anymore. Uh, you know, that's a good question today. Uh, you know, I guess I would say my wife uh, because, you know, she really personifies empathy and caring uh, and you know, she's behind me 100% in doing what I'm doing because she knows that I believe in it. Uh, she believes in me, and uh, I'm so lucky to have her, and I love her, and uh, it's, a, it's a source of strength and inspiration to me. Yeah. Well, John, I want to thank you for joining us today on Framework Leadership Podcast. I'm grateful for the insight that you have provided our leaders. Great insight. And uh, we wish you well on this campaign and the journey ahead and excited about what the uh, results might bring. And hey, if you're listening to us right now and you want to stay up to date with John, you can follow him on Instagram at BeastJohnCox. For more leadership content, if you want to keep following us, you can check us out on Instagram, Kent underscore Ingle, or Twitter at at Kent Ingle. Uh, If you're listening to us, if you're watching us on YouTube right now, make sure you hit that subscribe button uh, to keep up with all the latest from Framework Leadership. Thank you so much for visiting us today. Thanks, John. Again, uh, glad to have you on the cast today. Thank you. Great to be with you guys. Yep. All right. Take care, everybody.